So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. All right. Well, welcome back, Selena. Excited to have you on. It's been actually only a few days since we actually caught up and this was actually the first time I had met you. So, welcome back onto the podcast. Oh, thanks, Tyrone. It's, uh, it's really lovely to be here with you. Awesome. All right. Well, I'd love to be able to just jump in and, and talk a little bit about the topic that we're thinking about, um, yeah, discussing. And this actually came out of the conference that I went to, which you held on the weekend. And it really, really inspired me to, I guess, want to share this with the audience because it is really something that we need to start considering, especially how the climate has become very uncertain in the market and so many changes have happened. And the topic that you, you sort of mainly focused on on this one was to really, you know, make tough decisions when you're not emotional. So, perhaps, Maybe if you want to sort of give a bit of background and context behind it first, and then we can delve into you know maybe some examples of what we talked about the weekend. Yeah, look, uh, the the theme that we had over the weekend was um, headwinds and wealth building in in high turbulence. Uh, there's no question that there's a lot of big things happening in the world right now, and mm. I think the ripple effects for those will definitely be um, significant. And I think one of the jobs as an investor is how do you position yourself in that smaller group of investors who manage to ride the turbulence out and not be completely wiped out. I think the the pressures in the economic environment that are intertwined with you know a rising emotional state of many investors is actually creating a bit of a cocktail of stress that we may not have ever seen before in our life. So you know the underlying premise of the whole weekend was you know how do you do the work now so that later on when you might feel emotional and your judgment might be clouded, you've done as much as possible to position for the worst outcome if it happens. Yeah, that's great. And I think what I really, really took away from it was not only the great connections that, um, you know, I got to meet people who I've spoken to over the, the internet and video conference, but also to how I guess people perceived what is happening in the market and, you know, seeing that there's opportunities to also um, look at, you know, making improved positions on where they are because ultimately, no one knows, you know, without a crystal ball, you don't know what's going to be you know, happening in the future of the market. And it, it's making those tougher decisions to see, okay, should we be looking to pull back on something, not be so bullish on certain things, cashing up just to make sure that you've got some reserves because if things change and, and this is what happened during COVID a couple of years back that no one knew that COVID was going to hit but there was so much uncertainty literally that month afterwards and a lot of people lost their jobs. I heard a lot of friends who were saying, man, I'm really down to you know the last dollar. I've got to go and find some work somewhere. And Sometimes, unfortunately, some investors just don't have any cash buffer in place to be able to ride out what was going to happen. And who knows, you know, the market changed completely after about three or four months and just skyrocketed and things just improved. But we still need to have that kind of buffer in place for whatever situation was going to happen. And it seems like at this point in time, there's so much uncertainty with interest rates rising, government changes, economic world yeah, changes as well too. So, did you want to sort of just talk a little bit more about that kind of side of things? Is I know there's so many predictors or people putting in predictions out there, but no one really knows. 
Yeah, look, I mean, we talked about the um, how predictions are formed, like some people use data to formulate predictions. Some people have theories and then go and find the data that kind of supports those theories. And some people just make up predictions and then speak with authority. So I think the reality is, unfortunately, it's the loudest voices that get the most kind of um, airtime. And everyone is a guru um, with the benefit of hindsight. But, you know, we talked a lot about studies that have been done, which kind of verify out of, I think it was 25,000 kind of professionals that tried to predict who gets it right. And they found that it was just all completely random. So, I guess the point is that if we don't actually know where things are going, the best we can do is actually look at where we are and then make decisions based on the information that we do have in front of us rather than trying to predict with absolute certainty. You know, there's definitely probabilities and things like that that we can talk about. We talked a little bit about what is actually happening economically and, you know, therefore what do we need to do to hedge against worst case scenarios. Yeah. And then can we sort of just I guess, talk from a high level view from your perception. And, and I guess you had a lot of great insights into what is currently happening for people who may not know what's happening in the market if they're sort of hit on the rock. Maybe perhaps just to sort of give people an overview of what we've been seeing in the market at this point in time. Yeah. This is currently, as, as we record, I should say, is June 2022. So, that will probably give a bit of context of when we are. Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, I would actually say this was one of the hardest events I've ever had to prepare for because it was really like opening lots of cans of worms and trying to digest dozens of videos, blogs, articles, opinions, and it was super, super hard. And in the end, I had to sort of throw it all out and step back and think, you know, like what what do our tribe really need to know right now? So, the first thing that I, I kind of, if I had to give you the top five things that are, you know, real right now is I think the first thing is, you know, the expenses of governments are way bigger than their revenues. I think government debts are bigger than their assets and growing. I think the government looks really wealthy, but they're actually pretty weak because they're spending so much. Number four was, you know, I think we've got the largest military conflict since World War II that's happening right now. And I think things with the supply chain and inflation are actually, you know, they're accelerating. They're not, they're not getting any better. So I would say if you were going to try and understand what is, those sort of are the principles. But yeah, I think inflation is at a 40 year high. There is a very big war brewing. I think interest rates, um, the threat of interest rate rises. I think the US have come out and said they're going to do at least half a dozen over the next 12 months. The commodity and share markets are already showing huge signs of volatility. Supply chain is limping and, and growth is slowing. So, I think bottom line is I think consumers and investors are nervous. I think they're nervous. Yeah. So, I mean, these are signs that are showing and it's like, I guess, <laughs> our human body if we are running well and we, we're eating well and we're exercising, our body and mind is, is you know humming along really well. And that's what probably you can say that's sort of been happening in the last few years. Even leading up to COVID, we were actually humming very, very well as an economy and property prices were gradually climbing back up. And then as soon as we had a bit of a shell shock, which is possibly like a, a virus or flu in our body, then we start to fight against it. And then it starts to show symptoms of runny noses, um, watery eyes, sleepiness, tiredness, all of those kind of things. And it seems like that's kind of where we're 
seeing heading at this point in time, I'm making a funny analogy here because I don't know, couldn't think of any other ones. But I guess if we're looking at it from that kind of point of view, I remember there was somebody in the conference that, that you had a guest speaker talking about these were the, some of the signs. And you even, I think, mentioned some of the signs in the economy showing that, okay, this is kind of where we're heading. And I'm not asking for a prediction, but like based on previous history, we, we kind of sort of understand and, and see that these are some of the things we need to sort of think about preparing for. We, we don't have a crystal ball, as we said, but what have you sort of provided to, I guess, us as a, as a group, as a tribe that we need to do to start preparing for this, not knowing what's going to happen? I think the um, the context I would give all of this is I'm certainly not trying to be a doomsayer and say that everything's going to turn to crap. But I also, mm. you know, if you look back over history and, and this is what the last weekend was was about, was really saying just because we've never experienced something in our lives doesn't mean it hasn't happened before. And I think right. if you believe that to some degree in the financial market, history is the study of surprises, people are actually pretty good at predicting what's predictable. They're not good at predicting the surprises like the COVIDs and things like that. So, you know, given what's happening in the market right now, I think it's prudent to have a high degree of caution about what you're doing. And, you know, I'm always huge on tidying up the house, like from a, from a financial point of view, clean financial house, make sure you know what is where, make sure you understand what's performing, what's not performing, make sure you understand the prospects of every investment that you have, um, make sure you're tracking it, all that good stuff. But when we're in a, a very buoyant market where the trend is just, you know, you can't put a foot wrong, people get a bit lazy about that stuff and, you know, they postpone difficult decisions and they maybe turn a blind eye to investments that they're carrying that maybe are underperforming. And I, I guess, you know, really one of the big things I was trying to drive home is now more than any time in the recent past is a time for you to not be ignoring your housekeeping around your, your wealth and to give it some attention because if you don't and something do big does happen in terms of, you know, something adverse, um, I think there are people that could really be in a lot of pain. Mm. And I, I, I totally agree and, and hence the reason why it's so important to consider how can you put maybe cash reserves or buffers in place to be able to sort of mitigate this and there's no harm in doing it. Um, obviously, we would like to have all our funds invested in a fantastic market like we've just had a great run and no one likes to have cash sitting dormant or doing nothing. But as, as you said, with turbulent times coming ahead, which we don't know in any surprises, what do you think are additional things that we should consider to sort of prepare for these kind of things? Oh, look, you know, I mean, what you've just described, the liquidity tension, I call it, like when times are really good, people feel bad about sitting on large sums of cash because they're like, oh, I should be in the market. I should be, you know, jumping on a deal. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, holding too much cash feels like lost opportunity cost. But I think the flip side to that is that even with inflation and you know, with everything going on, cash can really be the ultimate insurance policy. And I think right now, holding a little more cash than usual is probably, you know, prudent. I think looking at your debt to value ratios, 
Um, there's a lot of people who took advantage of, you know, more relaxed lending practices over the last couple of years and investment advisors will often teach you to maximise borrowings and refinance at every opportunity to buy more property. And this is a really important point. Where you are on your investment journey makes a big difference about this stuff. If you're like someone like me and you've got the benefit of 20 plus years of investing behind me, then if the market took a haircut and like, let's say dropped 20%, it's not really going to make a huge difference to me. Whereas if you're someone who's recently getting into investing and the market, you know, tanked or dropped significantly, that could really, really hurt you. So, I think it's really important to recognize where you are on your journey and therefore if the market moved against you, how much damage that could potentially cause. I'm usually such an optimist and so I, I sort of almost hate talking about this negative stuff, but you know, I, I know that there are people who loaded up with four to six investment properties in the last two years and they feel really good about it because you know they've made significant equity gains during that time. But they're also on a knife's edge if the market were to drop. Not only would they lose those, but potentially put themselves under massive cash flow stress, which is probably the more important thing. We talked a little bit about the experience that people had during the Great Depression and um, it almost didn't matter how much capital you had. You know, what saved people or how people got by was cash and cash reserves. So, having investments that are self-sustaining or deliver strong predictable cash flow is really, really important. Oh, and I, I was going to say, I totally agree because, I mean, it, it's great if you've got a huge wealth, which is an asset base, but at the end of the day, it's not generating the kind of cash flow that you need to sustain and live and to ride out turbulent times, then really, what's the point of having it? And, and I, I think you shared some really great examples. One particular one that I remember was about Polly and Raj. Uh, I mean, this is a, a really good case study. It's obviously not real names here that we're disclosing, but this was a great case study that you shared with us. Did you want to just talk about that? Because this, in this instance, you know, there are some. I mean, they've got a great portfolio size, but if something did happen, you know, what will happen to them? Maybe just paint the context first, actually, who, of what they do. Yeah, so one of the kind of keys that we talked about on the weekend was, you know, you've got to make the hard decisions now while things, while you you know, your head is clear and you've got the time to actually take action. Things like really questioning how much cash you should be keeping, looking at your leverage. And, you know, one of the things I talked about was this idea of postponing pain. And I think when times are really good, you can get away with carrying some dogs in your portfolio or underperformers or even assets with negative equity because you don't have to address it. But I think right now, I think now is the time to be looking at those and saying, well, yes, I might take a small haircut if I realize that loss or get rid of that dog, but it just reduces the pressure on me and stabilizes my position massively. So, the reason and the context for showing a couple of case studies and Polly and Raj are described them, but essentially was really just if you have that filter that maybe it's going to be business. In my lifetime, basically everything, including the global financial crisis, was a blip in terms of the impact it had on the Australian mm. economy. In fact, if anything, it created vast opportunity in the alternative space. But in terms of the Australian property portfolio, it flatlined a tiny bit, but still nothing much happened. So, in my life, nothing catastrophic from a financial perspective has happened. But I don't fool myself into thinking that it can't happen. 
And, you know, the, the story of this couple was shown through the filter of, yes, there's a lot of pretty big stuff happening in the market right now. And I am totally against predicting with any certainty what will happen. But is there a chance that something pretty serious could happen? We, we talked about, you know, the, the tax, the ATO tax debts and things like that. Like there's a lot of um, storms coming through. But with Raj and, and Polly, essentially they are a couple who own a very large um, portfolio of properties in uh, two-bedroom units in Melbourne and Sydney. Portfolio is worth about $19.2 million. Um, had a debt of about 14 and were on an average interest rate of about 2.48. Their net rents was 63000 positive. So, they're in the black, but they were being forced to pay additional principal repayments of 144000 a year, which was taking them into the red. They had a fantastic business income of just over half a mil, but their lifestyle expenses were 400 to 450 and their cash reserves were only about 110. So, when I put this up as a, like, these are real people, like in the context of everything that we're talking about, it becomes immediately apparent that there's some vulnerability there mm. because they've got a reasonable amount of leverage. They've got very little cash flow. They're already carrying a negatively cash flowing property, even though it's, you know, in the black as far as technically. And this is something that I, I've heard people um, talk about across the board, this whole idea that the banks, because they're becoming more conservative, they're forcing people into higher and higher principal repayments. Um, so, even where you've gone and negotiated a really great interest rate, if your principal repayments are really high, that can scorch your cash flow super fast. Mm. And even though I get that it's forced savings to pay down debt, it still can really hurt during a, a tough period. Like if something happened to their business and they couldn't earn that money anymore, you know, we, we don't have a lot of transparency here, but how quickly could they scale back their living expenses from the 450 down to something, you know, Half that, maybe half that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. huge. I mean, like, I mean that that seems to be a, a very, very nice lifestyle. I have to say, you know, spending that kind of money every month—that's like almost twenty k a month. Um, yeah, more actually. Sorry, it's like almost forty k a month. Yeah, like that. yeah. So forty k a month. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's really discerning, and and there's a huge risk for them because if, as you said, business changes, um, rates go up, which means that they have to pay more towards to pay down their debt, what will they do? I mean, obviously, they can't go and find more business income just to sustain their life. So, they've got to actually make some really hard decisions and it sounds like they may have to do some personal reductions in terms of their lifestyle expenses, increase their cash reserves and potentially, you know, look at um, maybe even selling down some of their debt so that way they can actually pay down their debt as well. Yeah. I mean, the challenge is like on the surface of it, they have an enviable property mm. portfolio and they're doing really well. Um, but as we looked back at um, some case studies for people around the Great Depression, which I think is the nearest equivalent of a massive fracture to the economy, there were people who were minting money and it just evaporated and they were left in a situation where they just didn't have the resources behind them to, to back it up. It's not so much that I'm showcasing them as people who have done the wrong thing, but potentially there's not a lot of uh, fat or cushioning in what they have. Yeah, and that, that's I think the key point that I got away from that is that making sure that no matter what times, if we if we continue to have great times and you know the government comes in and 
prints more money as we <laughs> talked about as well. And, you know, the cycle happens again where it pushes prices up and things keep going. Then, you know, that that might, I guess, give a bit of comfort for people. But if we do go through turbulent times and you don't have those cash reserves and you need to dip into somewhere to be able to fund whatever you're doing right now, whether your portfolio, your lifestyle, et cetera, then how much pain will that cause and what are the risks involved? And that's kind of opened up my eyes to go, okay, gosh, not that I wasn't paying attention, but I need to, you know, start thinking about should I have six months worth of emergency funds sitting along the side or 12 months, whatever it is, and just start thinking about, okay, how do I reduce my exposure to certain property investment opportunities that I'm currently involved in as well too. So, yeah. Yeah, you know what, Tyrone? I mean, this is really worth mentioning. At the beginning of COVID in March of 2020, I think the whole world got a taster of the fear of what it could be like if everything turned to custard. There was a period of about a month between when everyone thought, oh, my God, the world is ending, the sky is falling, and then the government stepping in with the, you know, stimulus stimulus and support packages. There was a period of about a month where everyone was panic-stricken. And I guess the, you know, the point I'm making is that it was just a taster and we would hope that the government would always come to the rescue, but I just think we, we can't hang our hats on that. We don't necessarily know that that will oh, happen. No, of course not. And, and that was the thing. I mean, as I was saying earlier, I had um, colleagues and friends that I was working with and uh, as I knew that I, I still had, you know, work come in and stuff like that. But as soon as COVID hit, their their jobs contracts ended. And then, they, as I said, they, they only literally had like a week's worth of um, savings put aside. And they said, you know, they said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I'm okay. Not, not to boast or anything, but I intentionally had cash reserves put aside which i always do just for you know times like this and you know i guess i'm quite cautious a lot of times but just i guess for listeners out there who haven't had any cash reserves put aside and put all their money into investments it's probably a good idea just to keep some cash reserves and i've interviewed a number of property investors in the past on my show who have always said they've got at least six months worth of living expenses covered just sitting there just in case. And it's actually, I know it sounds like it's it's money that's not being utilized. It sounds like, you know, it's just not being invested, but it's actually a good thing to have there because it gives you a bit of buffer and certainty. And that's what I think we all as investors really want is that certainty. If anything does turn to custard, will you be able to survive and get through this tough time? And if you can't, then that would be, you know, the, your biggest, biggest risk. I think the thing we probably should have set up front as well, Tyrone, and I'm leaving it to the end is we are, we are not financial yeah. advisors. There is no uh, advice. Please don't run out and do anything rash. I think the uh, the big takeaway that I wanted to really drive home is, you know, are there any difficult decisions that you need to make about your wealth? Because if there are, do them now. Yep, yep, absolutely. And thank you for reminding us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we we love to share our own stories and it, it's it's um I guess just giving an insight in you know what we currently do and on Selena said that's right we just got to make sure that um you seek your own independent advice as well. One, one thing I do want to also add as well there was another case study that you mentioned um for Janine and Mike and I, I wouldn't mind just giving that comparison. This is a slightly you know from the other end of the spectrum. And, and what you, I guess you've seen from that um, case study that might be also potential risks or things that they need to also try and consider, you know, that might be a tough decision they've got yeah. to make. Yeah. So, Janine and Mike had uh, a more modest uh, six investment properties worth about $4 million, And they had two properties that were clearly underperforming for various reasons. One of them was being rented by a member of the family 
and was costing them about twenty thousand a year just to cover interest. But it was and it was about to revert from a one point nine eight fixed rate to a three point five percent variable. Ouch! That's twice. And then, yeah, and then the second was they had a couple of properties in a mining town that at its peak. Um, was doing really well, but now they're worth two thirds as much, and you know, really bringing in rubbish cash flow, negatively cash flowing. But to sell them would be to realise a loss of one fifty, um, but would free up about three hundred thousand in cash. Their current cash reserves are less than thirty five thousand, and they both have two thousand per week discretionary spending outside their bills. So that was kind of their story. Yeah, and and I guess. I'm, and I'm not giving any financial advice here, but I'm, I'm looking if from a less emotional state, if they were in this point in time where the market hasn't turned or things have gone sour or, you know, really, really turbulent times as such, it might be actually a good time to consider, you know, what can they potentially get for these properties without to free it up? And that way, take the burden off. Sometimes it's actually okay to let go of a dog or let go of, you know, a lemon and, you know, free that space because it does cause a bit of stress. You're thinking, wow, you know, it's negative cash flow, it's, you know, worth only a third. You keep that over your head sometimes and it just affects you mentally. But once you let it go, imagine the headspace that you have and you don't need to necessarily jump back into something straight away, but it frees your mind to go, okay, this potentially opportunity that I could look at down the track and you're not restricted. So, I guess, yeah, these, these were very, very good stories that um, or case studies that we had a look at and know that these names are not real. Um, they're, they're, these are real case studies, but the names we've had to replace for privacy purposes. Uh, but I think they really show some good examples of what potentially people's lifestyles and people's um, portfolios look like and how to potentially look at it from a different angle and, and mitigate some of the risks that we were talking about. Yeah, look, you've raised some really good points, Tyra, and I think um, with this particular couple, they don't have a lot of cash reserves. They've held on to these properties that haven't performed. And, you know, as as someone who supports a lot of people in the wealth space, I, I don't think it's my job to ever be prescriptive, but it's definitely important that, you know, they, they can't do much about the property that the mum is in because, you know, that's family and they want to keep supporting her. But having an extra 300 in cash and just realizing that loss and using it in the future could actually be a sensible decision, but one of, you know, several decisions that they could consider. But yeah, their cash reserves being as low as they are is definitely a bit of a, a red flag. Totally. So, hopefully, we've shared um, quite a lot of things in this one. I think the main thing we wanted to just, I guess, give as a takeaway is really make those hard decisions now rather than later. I know you delay it, there'll be more pain down the track if things do turn. Uh, But at the same time, because people are less emotional because you've just gone through, say, a really, really very buoyant time of a couple of years of of COVID um, coming out of that and so forth, it is an opportunity to start to review and, and consider, you know, what your situation is at this morning time. So, obviously go out seek some independent legal advice and financial advice from people who you trust and um, hopefully you know this episode also has helped you as well so thank you selena for coming on awesome tyrone thanks for being here you've been listening to the alternative investing podcast if you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.